Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Guys, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. Praise the Lord tonight. Lord, we bless you. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the glory of the coming age. You have put a kingdom inside of us, and it is your good pleasure to reveal your Son in us. And so tonight, Lord, we take heart and we take courage because we know that you began a good work and you're faithful to complete it. You're going to finish what you started. People will see Jesus in us and it will be to the glory of the Father. And so Lord, we're taking courage tonight and we're expectant and we're trusting that your word will do its work in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Folks, tonight I'm going to be talking about breaking the cycle, breaking the cycle. And we're going to be going to a very famous well-known passage of scripture, John chapter 4. In fact, it is so famous and so well-known, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to jump in and out of it because there's like 26 verses and uh, we want to finish uh, before the sun sets. Amen? So, but but, but I do want to look at this idea of breaking the cycle. Uh, Just some context, John chapter 4, Jesus has just had uh, that powerful conversation with Nicodemus. He's explained the way to be born again. He's explained the nature of salvation. And then the Bible says he heads north or begins to head north from Judea where he is towards Galilee. But the Bible says that he decides to go through Samaria. So this was a sizable detour. It was a serious detour. Uh, Apparently it's something like 70 miles to go from where he was in Judea to where he wanted to be in Galilee, but he took a significant detour to go through Samaria, which was something that the Jews did not do. Uh, Anyone who knows their history, biblical history, history of Israel, you know that there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Assyrians resettled uh, the 10 tribes once they'd been dispersed. They were resettled and uh, various people from different nations came and lived in that northern part of Israel. Uh, and the Bible says that they didn't know uh, the, the religion or the um, practices of the Jews. And so actually, a lot of them began to be consumed by the wild animals in that place. And so the Assyrian king took a Jewish rabbi and put him in Samaria to teach them the religion. And it sort of ended up with them being a hybrid of pagan practices and, Jew- and the, the Jewish religion. And so there was a lot going on there. Uh, it, wasn't, it was sort of, you know, it was a bit mid, okay? Let's be uh, contemporary right now. It was a bit mid. They didn't really understand the religion uh, of the Jews. They were sort of sidelined out of that. And so the Jews did not like to go there. There was huge divide and huge tension, but Jesus went there. Hallelujah. How many of you know that Jesus is not afraid to step across divides? 
Amen. Jesus is not afraid to go and pursue the things that matter to him. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, I've given some context, but I do want to start by talking about what I think this passage really is about, which is thirst. This passage is about thirst. And that's what it's about. Uh, You know, I'm going to show my age a little bit, uh, but do any of you remember that Sprite ad that used to go on TV? It's got to be 25 years ago. Obey your thirst. Do you remember that? Obey your thirst. It was really funny. It was three big burly guys on a basketball court and they were, you know, the cameras were rolling and they were shooting an advert and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is TJ. My name is LaShawn and my name is, and they were, they were, you know, and then as soon as the camera cut, they were like, oh my goodness me, uh, I've totally lost my train of thought. Do you know, so they went from thugs to Shakespeare. It was hilarious. But the tagline was obey your thirst. It was obey your thirst and how many, if there was ever a tagline that could sort of describe humanity and particularly this generation, I think it would be that. Just obey your thirst. Just just do it. Go on, there's another tagline. I didn't even plan that one. Just do it, that sort of thing. And, and, and it's the truth. There is a universal truth, uh, I think, going on. And it's not just this generation. It's every generation. We all thirst. We all thirst. Thirst is an experience. It is something that is common to each and every one of us. And if we're honest, we thirst deeply. Our soul thirsts even for acceptance, for love, for approval, for belonging. That's what we're looking for. That's what we desire. That's what matters to us. And let me say this right now. You are not weak or needy if you desire to to be accepted and if you desire belonging and if you desire validation. That doesn't make you a weak person. That doesn't make you a needy person. Actually, it's called stoicism, that idea of well, I'm strong and, you know, the British stiff up, stiff up a lip and, well, you know, I don't need anyone and I'm a strong, independent woman, all that sort of stuff. It's not, it's not centered in grace, okay? It's really not. It, there's nothing wrong with looking for those things. The problem arises when we look to people for those things instead of the Lord. That's the problem. That's the issue, that's the issue. I've got a quote here by Watchman Nee, a fantastic, fantastic author. One of the most amazing books I ever read was The Normal Christian Life. I got born again, again, reading that book. I couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, but, but listen to what he says here. Actually, only God can satisfy a Christian's heart. Man cannot. The failure of many is to seek from man what can only be found in God. All human affection is empty. The love of God alone is able to fully satisfy one's desire. Can I get an amen tonight? I know we all know that. I know we all know that. But the reality is we so often find ourselves straying from that truth. Okay, Uh, he goes on to say this. The moment a Christian seeks love outside of God, his spiritual life immediately fails or falls. So as soon as we start pursuing love, uh, affection, affirmation, validation from anyone other than God, our spiritual life starts to plummet. You know, some of us get caught even in cycles. We get caught in patterns of behavior that are rooted in our need to find affection and love and affirmation. 
but we look in the wrong places and it manifests in our behavior. Isn't it an interesting thing how when we're not walking in the love of God, we tend to lean toward approval and approval-seeking behavior. Isn't it amazing? And it can shape our lives. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we, you actually can't serve, you can't actually live for the approval of man and serve God at the same time. That these two things are at cross purposes. And maybe tonight you're at cross purposes. Are you at cross purposes? You know God loves you. You know the love of God. For you. you know that you know it. You get the theology. You sing it on the screens on a Sunday. But in your heart, are you looking to other things that you believe might quench your thirst? Listen, those things might pacify your thirst, but only Jesus will satisfy it. And there's a quote I'm going to go back to later. It's by John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. The reason why I want to talk to you about this tonight is that there is a correlation between what you find satisfaction in and your calling, walking out your purpose in God. There is a correlation. When you are most satisfied in God, he is most glorified in you. So getting your satisfaction, listen, he didn't just die to save you. He's also the source of your satisfaction. Amen. That's true. That's in truth. But some of us get caught in cycles. You know, and it's amazing when you read the passage, Jesus had to go through Samaria. I love it. The Son of God was on assignment. There was a divine plan at play for Samaria. And it involves a woman trapped in a cycle like the one we've just been describing. That's what it involved. And the Bible says that Jesus sat down by Jacob's well. That whole area was super important. A lot of amazing things happened there. Incidentally, a lot of the patriarchs found their wives around wells. I want you to keep, keep, keep that in your head because this woman is going to a well and she doesn't know that she's about to find the lover of her soul. It's awesome, okay? So Jesus sits down at Jacob's well. And I want to say this too. There are actually three wells in this story. And so we'll touch on those three wells, what they are. But Jesus, the fountain of living water, sits down next to Jacob's well and he needs a drink. I love it. The fountain of living water needs a drink. It cost Jesus something to be there to meet that woman. Hallelujah. I love it. It's not like Jesus sort of just like Ubered through, through, through Samaria. It's not like he just got like, you know, one of those things Andy rides to work and, you know, sweat, energy to find a woman trapped in a cycle. That's Jesus, folks. That's who he is. And he meets a woman who had five husbands. She had five husbands and the man that she was living with wasn't her husband. Let me give you some context, folks. Back in those days, women could not divorce men. So for her to have had five husbands... It means that she had been rejected, divorced by five different men. And the man she was living with wouldn't marry her. Talk about friends with benefits. Can we be real? Let's be real. Can we be real? Oh, I know what type of girl you are. I can get what I want from you and I don't need to commit to you. 
That's what this woman was living in. Divorced by five men, rejected. The man she was living with was treating her like she was just a commodity. This woman gave herself away again and again and again and again and again to men to find what she could only get from her savior. That was the cycle she was in. That's what she was caught in. And to boot, she was walking out to get water in isolation. Okay, so usually women gathered water either in the the early part of the day and they would have walked together to the well or they would have gone late in the day to get water. But to go at noon was, was, was... a travail because the heat, the sun was the highest po- at the highest point in the sky at that time. It was a horrible experience and she had to walk it by herself. Folks, it was real. It was isolation. It was rejection. That's what she was experiencing. And listen, guys, the, fo- the well was a picture of the cycle that she was trapped in. Do you see it? It was a picture of it. It was that thing she had to keep going to, to draw water or draw, draw from it to get satisfaction and it didn't work. That's what it was. Are you, actually, no, I'm not going to spoil my own sermon. Let me just keep rolling through the notes. I'm just going to keep going. I want to say this tonight. There's three things in this text that I believe cause thirst. Three things. The first is rejection. And I want to look at that. The first thing that caused the thirst in this text was rejection. She was trapped in a cycle of rejection. The very thing that she thought could give her what she was looking for actually made her more thirsty. Let me explain it to you. Rejection creates thirst. When people reject you, when the people you seek approval from turn their back on you and reject you, it creates a desire for their approval. Right? Paul talked in Galatians about the circumcision crowd who showed up and Paul's words were, they make much of themselves. They exclude you, excuse me, so that you'll make much of them. Exclusion, rejection. That was her story. That's what she was dealing with. I don't want to ask you tonight, because we're going to be talking about cycles in general, but in particular, has rejection created a thirst in you for people's acceptance? Has it? The well represented the people, in her case, men, whose acceptance she desired. The more, folks, listen, you throw yourself at people, the more you will experience their rejection. The more you give of yourself to gain their acceptance, the more you'll find them turning from you. It's, it's amazing how it works. She'd sacrificed so much. She'd sacrificed her reputation, her morals, her place in society, all to satisfy a thirst in her. What have we compromised to satisfy our need for value and acceptance? She had bartered away things that matter most to get what she thought could satisfy her. And the more she traded off, the more of a commodity she must have felt like. Living this way, living this way devalues us. The men in her life had used her up. If she had a life message, it would be, I'm not enough. I can't satisfy 
And so she continued to give herself away, to offer herself up to these men in the hopes that they might give her a sense of belonging. And it was amazing. In the height of that, Jesus appears. In the height of that experience, Jesus appears. Jesus shows up. I want to ask you tonight, I want to ask you tonight, if, what wells, what methods are you repeatedly turning to to get a sense of value and acceptance? What wells are you turning to? What things are you doing? I went online today, and I, because it wouldn't be 2023 without some pop psychology. So I went online today and I, got a, I, I took a look at some examples of approval-seeking behavior. And can I be really honest with you? I felt like I was reading my own diary. <laughs> it was like, it was, <laughs> okay, how about this? Are you ready? Number one, taking discouragement personally. Two, changing or adapting your point of view in the face of apparent disapproval. Afraid to say no for fear of disapproval. Not standing up for your rights. Gaining attention or acceptance through gossip. Appearing to agree with someone verbally or non-verbally when you don't. Not complaining when you've received unsatisfactory service or goods. Can I just pause there? We, 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 we have to start complaining about stuff, amen? In a sanctified Christian way. If there was ever... A, if, we are terrible at complaining about things. Particularly when we go to restaurants and we get a dish that's just, it looks like it's been microwaved and then, you know, microwaved again and then, you know, thrown in the bin and then fished out, put on the plate and, and handed to you. We, we need to learn to complain, but we are a no quibble society, right? We don't want to be seen as the person making a fuzz, okay? Brief tangent there. How about this? Pretending to know or understand something that you don't know or understand. Feeling the need to apologize even when there's been no disapproval. Expecting compliments or fishing for them and being upset when they're not forthcoming. Failing to cope with any level of criticism or behaving in a way that's contrary to your own beliefs. Those are cycles. They're cycles. They're patterns of behavior. And they're predicated on rejection. That's what they are. That's what they are. And when we live that way, when we live that way, we can't be what God has called us to be for people. Do we see that? We can't. We don't know, you know, and we know, look, some of us, to me, I felt the Holy Spirit even, you know, just tell me, Patrick, put a finger on this for a second. A lot of us are seeking affirmation on social media. Tell the truth and shame the devil. A lot of us are seeking affirmation on social media. A lot of us are in cycles of posting selfies, pictures. If I see another selfie of somebody, you know, and there's just a scripture underneath it to sanctify it, and there's nothing remotely spiritual about the picture. But we do it because we need approval. We do it because we need somebody to click and say, yes, I like that. I affirm that. Hearted. Do something to make us feel like we have validation. These are cycles that Jesus wants to interrupt. They're cycles that Jesus wants to interrupt for his glory because we're offering ourselves up to the wrong things. 
We're offering ourselves up as living sacrifices to things that cannot give us our sense of worth or value or tell us what the will of God is for our lives. And the woman, when Jesus came to her, when he approached her and asked her for a drink, what was her response? I'm going to borrow a word from Stephen Fersick. She prejected him. Why? Let me describe, let me explain it to you. He approached her and said, Woman, will you give me a drink of water? And she said, Well, I, I didn't think Jews uh, spoke to Samaritans. I didn't think Jews spoke to Samaritans. She was so expectant of rejection from another man. Here's another man looking for something from me. She was so expectant of rejection. Her, her, her strategy was to reject him first. Prejection. How many of us push away people before they get a chance to reject us? How many of us do that? But that's what this woman did. She tried to preject Jesus. But how many of you know, Jesus doesn't just leave when we start trying. You can't push the Son of God away like that. You can't push away the love of Jesus like that, the grace of God like that. Jesus is persistent, amen? All this, oh, he's knocking on the door like a gentleman. He's kicking the door open like a fireman, amen? That's what it is. Jesus isn't waiting for you to decide whether or not you want to be saved from a burning building. He's kicking that door in and he's fishing you out and you can thank him later. And if he really saves you, you always will. There's nobody in the kingdom of God going, well, Lord, I wish you just left me in my sin. No, it's the truth. Amen. Can I get an amen in the house? It's Jesus. That's who he is. That's who he is. Again, the problem isn't what you're looking for. It's right to decide to be loved and valued. The problem is where you're looking for it. Because empty vessels have nothing to pour into empty vessels. People cannot give you what you're looking for. Can we settle it now in the house tonight? People can't give us what we're looking for. Are you like that woman? Are you like that woman? Are you earning, working, stuck in a cycle? Grace is here. Grace has come because we have a deeper need. And although we're looking for it in people, what we really need is grace. That's what we really need. We, that's what we need. We're drinking water that pacifies instead of water that satisfies. Jeremiah 2.11, Jesus says, uh, uh, the Lord says to the children of uh, Jerusalem through Jeremiah, he says, you've got two sins. You've, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn for yourself cisterns that don't hold water. You have forgotten who, where life comes from. You've forgotten the source of life. And at a certain point, we have to stop. We might be going, we're going through it, we're going through the cycles. But what we need is to be filled to receive the love of God that we have gone to such great lengths to earn. We have to get to a point where we're ready to deal with our real need. Save me, Lord. There's power in that prayer tonight. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said, if you come to me, you, if you knew the gift of God that was standing before you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
I'm here to give you something. This was a revolution for this woman. A man is here to give me something. I tried to project him and it didn't work. And there's no strings. Do you know what I love? She goes and she says, well, you've got nothing to get the, how are you going to get the living water? She didn't realize that she was the bucket. She didn't realize that she was the vessel. She didn't realize that he was the well and he was going to put living water in her. I love it. Remember, there are three wells, Jesus, the well, Jacob's well, and the woman would become a well. Hallelujah. Three wells in the story. So Jesus comes and he goes, you don't understand. I'm going to put water in you. I'm going to give you something and you can drink this water and you'll be satisfied. And then this water will rise up in you and become a, flat, a fountain, a stream, an eternal fountain. I want to, I'm, I'm flowing to you to flow through you. I'm giving you something so you can give it to somebody else. Jesus, we, folks, we need an encounter with the grace of the gospel. It's the only way we're going to break these people-pleasing cycles. It's the only way we're going to live full of life and the, the grace the gospel, uh, the grace of the gospel, what Jesus died to give us. Jesus is the fountain of living water. He is. He is the gift of God. We need something we need a grace. We need to encounter a grace that will flow to us even in failure, even in inadequacy. This is how we break the cycles. We need grace to touch us even in failure. You know, Jesus, the living water, he had to flow. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go to her. Grace sought her out. This is the first thing you need to know about the grace of the gospel. God's love is flowing towards you, regardless of where you are in your life. God's love is flowing towards you to interrupt the cycles that you're caught in in your life. You might be all about people and their opinions. You might be bound by rejection. Jesus is on his way. He has a date with you. He does. He sought her out and he broke religious, gender and moral boundaries to reach her. You know, at the time it was illegal to even teach women. It was illegal. Listen to a quote from a rabbi at the time. The words of the Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to a woman. That was Jesus this is the, folks, this is the new wine of the gospel. This is the grace of God. He just walks over it. He walks over the social divide. Oh, you're a Samaritan, doesn't matter to me. You're a woman, it doesn't matter to me. I'm here to connect with you and validate you. I'm teaching you. What does that mean? It means I see a future in you, potential in you. You are worth an impartation of my word. You don't teach someone you don't believe in. And so here's society. You can't even teach a woman. Jesus is like, I'm not trying to hear that. I'm, I am the word and I'm giving her the word. I'm here to give her something because she's the key to a people. The father is seeking something. The father is seeking something. The father desires a certain type of worshiper. 
he thirsts, if you like, for a certain type of worshiper, and I'm here to give him what he's looking for. I'm here to quench, Jesus went to Samaria to quench the thirst of the Father. Listen to this quote. This is what we need, this is what you need in your cycle. You need a love that gives and takes, that sees faults, but not with a floor-seeking eye like needle points, but loving, kindly, ever looking them down with overcoming faith and meek forgiveness. That's what you need. You and I, we need a grace, we need a love in our cycles and in our patterns of behavior that looks at us, not with a condemning eye, but with a loving eye. One who sees our faults and extends mercy. If you knew the gift of God, I didn't, God, Jesus, God did not send a judge to Samaria. He sent a savior. He sent a savior. He didn't send a judge. That's why she couldn't recognize him. She expected re rejection. She expected judgment. She didn't expect a savior. Jesus said in the previous chapter, I didn't come to condemn the world, but through it, through me, I came to save it. Listen to, two, I've got two quotes by Brennan Manning. God loves you unconditionally, as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. Can I get an amen? amen. Anybody telling you that you're, I, I'm not even, I'm not even, let's just keep going. Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handouts of amazing grace. Hallelujah. That's what you need. That's what I need. That is the thing that will satisfy my soul and your soul. I'm not, I can't find it. You can't find it in people. But here is a love. Here is a fountain that will not run dry. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, she finds a man who didn't make her earn it who didn't make her earn it. She finds the, un or the, love, the unconditional love that she was looking for found her. Isn't it wonderful? She was walking to that well. She was working and travailing to get, try and get something from men and she couldn't get it. And everything she needed flowed right into her situation. Can we start to understand, grasp what this gospel really is about? Because this passage is all about the new covenant. It's all about breaking down the walls and tearing down and bursting through those old wineskins of religion. Jesus isn't interested in mountains and temples. He's interested in heart worship. Because when we worship him in spirit and in truth, we become his temple. That's what he's here to do. I'm here to make you my temple. He meets this woman at a well. I'm here to pour into you. I'm connecting to you. I'm not like those other men. I'm not like that well you're trying to draw from. I'm here to make you something. I'm here to take away the barriers that are keeping you from true experience, true grace, a true experience of my grace. Maybe you're sitting there tonight and you're saying, why? 
Why should I expect this? How can I expect this sort of grace? How can I receive this living water? I'm talking about unconditional love here. How can I receive it? How can I take it in? You have to understand the grace of God. And I want to show you here from another part of the Bible. Because the Apostle Paul was also caught in a cycle. He was caught in a pattern of life as well. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 1. I want you to follow with me. For you've heard about my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among people who were extremely zealous for the the traditions of my fathers. But look at verse 15. This is why. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, hallelujah, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him to the Gentiles. Folks, do you see what's going on here? Do you see what's going on? Paul is saying, this was my cycle. This was my way of life. This was my pattern of life. This was the self-destruction I was in. This was what I was doing. And while I was doing all of that, grace was flowing toward me. Living water was flowing toward me. Why? Three reasons. Because God sent me apart from my mother's womb. God had a plan for me from before I was born and it was according to his purpose and his grace. And what else? Then he chose me by his grace. So I've been set apart and I've been chosen. And the last thing was that even though I was a violent persecutor of the church, it pleased the father to show his son in me. Folks, this is wild. This is amazing. The grace of God is amazing. Paul is murdering Christians. Paul is on a Damascus road doing what he thinks is he's so far from the heart of God and yet the heart of God is following after him and can encounter lay on the Damascus road. Paul couldn't even see it because he was set apart from his mother's womb and called by grace and because it pleased the father. Oh, hallelujah tonight. Why, how can I accept this grace? How can I receive this grace? Because it pleases the Father to demonstrate, to show the world his son through you. It pleases the Father. That is amazing. That is amazing. I love it. What does it mean? It means he doesn't need strength. He doesn't need you to order your life and have it together. He doesn't need you to be big and strong and moral. And, and you, like, like Brennan Manning said, he doesn't need you to be a super Christian. In fact, those things get in the way. Paul said, we preach not Christ. Well, sorry, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus crucified. In other words, when we come in our self-righteousness, thinking we have it all together, our moral superiority and piety. It's an obstruction to the grace of God. People can't see through you to see Jesus. So God chooses weak and lowly and broken people to show his son to the world through. Folks, I love it. Folks, I love it. And maybe I'm just talking to me tonight, but I love it. I love it. 
I've set you apart. I've called you by my grace and it pleases me to reveal my son through you. It pleases me to show my son's strength through your weaknesses. It, his ability through your ability instead of your ability, his worthiness through your unworthiness. I'm looking someone I can display my son's power in. I remember Jay Fallon when he was ministering to the young adults there in uh, February, he said something that stuck with me forever. God has all the power. He's just looking for a place to put it. He's got all the powers. He's looking for a place to put it. People weak enough, low enough, small enough so that onlookers will know that the plan that God has for their lives can only be done through Jesus. Grace creates thirst. The woman's thirst began to change. I need living water. I need this water, not Jacob's water. She, she starts to move in another direction. And I want to end tonight by showing you this. There's another thing that creates thirst. And at the end of the passage, it shows that testimony actually creates thirst. How do we receive it? Sorry, how do we receive it? How do we receive this sort of grace? We worship in spirit and in truth. That's what we do. We worship in spirit, which means from the heart. And we worship in truth. That means we worship the Jesus, the God who's revealed himself to us. We worship the true God. We don't worship. We worship the God of grace and the God of love. The God who gave himself for us. So, this woman begins to thirst for living water and she begins to desire living water. The Bible says that as she does, she begins to come alive and she begins to move toward the place, towards Samaria. And you know, I want to just say this, the anointing changes our direction. It changes our direction. In 1 Samuel 6, Saul so first Samuel 10, Saul, when he was being anointed king, Samuel said, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you'll become another man. And the Bible says after he left the place, God gave him a new heart. He went another direction. He went another direction. The anointing changes our direction. When he pours his love out on us, we receive a new heart and he makes us his vessel. He makes us his temple. And this is the plan of God for every believer. And the woman ends by saying this. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now the passage doesn't say it, but I believe that the connotation was, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did and love me anyway. Love me anyway. An understanding of his love filled her with the fullness of God. An understanding of his love filled her with the fullness of God. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays a prayer and he says this in 3 verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, Jesus, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge. And look here, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The path to being full, the path to receiving living water is here in this text. It's what he says. And there's two words. I'm going to quickly touch on them before we end tonight. If we are going to break those cycles and grasp the love of God for ourselves, we have to understand his love. And there's two words. The first is comprehend. It means to lay hold of by faith. So it requires faith to begin to believe and stand and say, this could be for me. This is for me. And the next word is an interesting one. It's no. It's no. And it means to understand, but it also means to deeply experience. So we have to experience this grace. We have to understand that it's for us and we begin to experience it then. And so the satisfaction of that, coming into that, having our true needs met in the gospel releases us from those cycles into our calling. The Bible says that she left her water pots behind and walked into the city. And the passage says, the text says, that many believed because of her testimony. Many believed. Thirst, testimony creates thirst. When God had finished that work, when she was full of that living water, there was a testimony that created a thirst. The people that once rejected her, that she began the text moving away from in isolation, grace had redirected her towards and she began to flow towards them with the message of life. What an amazing thing. Grace redirects us. Grace changes us. When the gospel touches us, we become another man or another woman. We become something other than what we are. Saul of Tarsus never left the Damascus road. And I don't believe that woman ever left that well. I think she left another person. I think she left with a new heart. I think that those cycles that she was locked in, they were broken by the grace of God. She didn't need from people what she'd received from Jesus. And so my prayer tonight as we close is is just a simple one. That we wouldn't underestimate what God would do with a life that's found its satisfaction in him. That Piper quote we touched on earlier on. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. God can do an awful lot with you. Even if things aren't together right now. Even if you're in a a, a pattern or bound in something. He can do an awful lot with you. If you can open your heart to receive the love that he has for you. John, Roman, uh, just the Holy Spirit gave you this, Romans, uh, uh, John 8, 1, or John chapter 8, Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, he says at the end of it all, and listen, no, she was caught in adultery, no one does anything once, so it was a pattern, it was a cycle, she was caught in it, and what does Jesus say to her? After all the men have gone, he says, woman, does no man condemn you? She says, no, and he goes, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That grace, no condemnation for those who were in Christ, that grace set her free from the pattern she was in, the cycle she was in. My prayer today is that you taste the grace of God for yourself. 
that you taste the unconditional love Jesus has for you, that you begin to receive that. He loves you. He loves you. And his reasons for moving towards you and coming for you and, and sharing his love for you, they're based entirely on him setting you apart and choosing you. And the Father being pleased to demonstrate who he is in your life. Can we just stand and pray tonight? Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.